0: In uh, Genesis chapter 50, so if you want to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 50, I'll give you a minute to turn there, that's where we're going to be at as we close out our study through the book of Genesis. And um, rather than diving right into these verses here, um, we, we got mostly through chapter 49 last week. And there was the, the blessings to a uh, few of the other sons, some of these prophetic messages that were given uh, to, that were, were much smaller, less in detail. And then, of course, there was the, the blessing that was given to, to, to Joseph and, and to Benjamin. And I'm going to encourage you to read through and study on some of those things that we didn't get a chance to go through last week. And even though we're going to kind of back up a little bit and read at the end of chapter 49, really the last five verses, um, we're not going to talk about the remainder of those blessings. We're just going to read chapter uh, 49, starting in verse 29, talk about that for a little bit, and then transition right into our study in chapter 50. So, um, if you look there, um, these are Jacob's final words. And um, you guys, there's in your bulletin. I just realized I have the announcements. So, you all have a bulletin. Please, please read the announcements there, and um, they pertain to you. And there's a lot of cool things going on. So. Uh, that's where we're at. So, (laughs) um, as most of you know, uh, I have the opportunity, uh, to be the chaplain for one of the hospices here in our community. And that affords me the privilege and opportunity of working with people and their loved ones that are coming to the end of their life. And, um, I enjoy it for a lot of different reasons and you may think that's weird to enjoy to enjoy that and and, and it is when I think about it from just a, a humanistic perspective that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little weird but from 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 a Christian perspective it's a really cool thing to be there with people at the end of their life believers and unbelievers alike because with an unbeliever it's an opportunity to to, to talk to them about spiritual things and for believers it's an opportunity to um, partner with them and watch them uh, promote from this life into the next life and where they are anxious in an excited way for what God has for them next. Um, But also the thing that I enjoy about it is because the words that people speak when they come to the end of their life um, carry a lot of weight. Um, And if any one of you really thought, as the Bible tells us, to, to count our days, um, if you really were reflecting, if we really reflected on the fact that the time that we have is limited, I think the way that we would live um, and the words that we would speak um, would carry much much more weight even to us. And, um, and, but that's not the case. I mean, we live our lives and we get wrapped up in the, 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 the daily ins and outs of things and we lose, we, we lose perspective on, on eternity and just how short this life really is and um, we say things that probably shouldn't say and do things we probably shouldn't do. Um, But when it's stripped down to the fact that you know that it's the end, um, it becomes even more um, real to you, and the words that you speak and the things that you do are guarded and and have more um, thought put into them. And so as we think about that in regards to Jacob's final words here, these are them. And um, in verse 29, Jacob is speaking to his sons, And it says, then in verse 29, He charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Verse 30, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there, Jacob says, I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there was purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Uh, conclude this study through the book of Genesis, a book of beginnings, as we come to the end of the book of beginnings, Lord, the, the, the book of firsts. Um, God, we're, we're reminded of so many things that you've spoken and, and uh, made known to us through this time of study. And as we've been studying through Joseph and the life of the patriarchs in the last uh, several weeks, and Lord, we get the ability and the opportunity to read these last words of Jacob I pray, God, you would help us to understand them, that you would give us understanding, Lord, wisdom and a discerning heart so that we may um, live our lives in a way that glorifies you so that we may be filled again with hope and the knowledge of of your forgiveness and your grace and the importance, Lord, of living our lives with the the understanding, Lord, that this life is temporary and that you have um, great things planned for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Jacob had gathered all of his sons to himself because he knew that his death was near. Um, and he wished to speak to them some last words. And we know that they were prophetic words, words of blessing to each of them and to their future descendants. They were words that would carry on down to the, to the nation of Israel, to the individual tribes. Um But from these last verses, we see that Jacob's final statement was about his burial. This is where I want to be buried. And, um, you know, if you think about that, there's... There's some of you here who've probably thought about where you want to be buried, whether you want to be uh, uh, buried in in, or cremated and then have your ashes scattered somewhere. You may have given some thought to that. Maybe it's next to a loved one or um, maybe it's your ashes to be departed in many different places. I frankly don't care. Uh, I tease my wife all the time because she does not want to be buried. She wants to be cremated. And on a, on a, on a, on a personal level, I'm okay with that. But um, I tease her all the time that, I, I, that no, I want to be buried, and I want you to come and l- cry over my grave and bring me flowers every day. And, and I know that will not happen. I'm de- if I die before her, I'm destined to be cremated. And But whatever happens with my ashes, I don't really care. And we have to understand that Jacob wasn't so much concerned about where he was being buried, but why he was being buried where he had commanded his sons to do so. And, and that's really what we're looking at. And from these last verses, as I said, we read Jacob's final statements, his final words. They carry great importance. Uh, to his sons and to his descendants. And he said, hey, carry my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me in the cave, the cave in the field of Machpelah, or the cave of Machpelah, where the members, where where the bodies of my previous family members, five to be specific, had all been laying to rest. And in doing so, we see that Jacob desired to communicate one last message. And guys, this is probably the best message that any of us can convey to our kids, to our grandkids, to our spouse who we leave behind, is this this message that Jacob's giving, this message that gives encouragement and insurance, assurance to those who we will leave behind once we leave this face of this earth. And the message that Jacob was communicating to his sons was this reminder of the eternal hope that he had this message of the promises that God had given to them and, and 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 this this was a hope that they shared in these were promises that had been extended to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and his descendants and and sharing this message with them he was encouraging his sons with the fact that his death which was moments away at this point right that his death was only a promotion from this life into eternity where he would continue to live on forever in the presence of god and if you can give your kids your loved ones that assurance if you can give them that message at the end of your life that is a wonderful wonderful gift to be able to give them knowing that they too will see you again because of your faith and because of the life that 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 you have been given in christ jesus and and when we talked previously and when we were studying through and I think it was in genesis chapter 23 when abraham actually had purchased the cave of machpelah and then and then other times when other people were were, were uh, of these forefathers these other five people were put in the cave we've talked about this before but we've talked about the significance of the cave of machpelah literally that that word meaning uh, uh, two doors or a cave with two doors um, we talked about the significance of that and also how it was the only piece of land that had ever been purchased by Abraham, the only piece of land in the promised land that he laid up as a possession. And, and that's significance because what we've seen when we studied through that passage of scripture is that Abraham gave great detail into purchasing this specific field with this specific cave. It, was not, it, was, it wasn't like it was the only one that could be used for a tomb, but it was the right one. And, and it had been chosenly, it's been carefully chosen by Abraham in order to remind his descendants that physical death is only a door for those who live by faith faith to pass through in order to inherit or move on into eternal life where the promises of God are inherited. A cave of two doors. One that enters through death, and one that you continue on to into eternal life. And this cave was a geographical example, a picture of of the, the, the process or what happens when we as believers die, that it's not just a place of darkness we transcend through into light, into life. And so, here Jacob reminded his sons that it had first been purchased as a burial place by Abraham's wife, Sarah, and how Isaac... His father and Rebecca, his mother, and Leah, his wife, had all been buried in this same cave. And that's significant because all these people shared in the same hope, the same faith that Jacob had, that he had been sharing with his sons. But the importance of being buried in this same cave which was at this point, because remember Jacob and his household and Joseph, they were all now dwelling in the land of Egypt because of a famine that had come across the land. This, this, this cave, which was now hundreds of miles away, um, the, the, the importance of this cave and the significance of it really rested in that promise, that, that covenantal promise of, of the hope of life after death. The hope of life after death. And 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 we can confirm that that's clarified to us when we look to the book of Hebrews, because in Hebrews chapter eleven we're reminded of this very specific thing that we're reading about here uh, as Hebrews chapter eleven declares to us how Abraham, how Isaac, and how Jacob, who all lived by faith it tells us that they live by living by faith they lived here in this life as foreigners in a foreign land living as foreigners in a foreign land because they were looking forward to a heavenly home it says specifically to a city whose foundations are not made with the hands of men but to a city that has been made for them by their god i i I, I love whenever we think when i think about that now being a foreigner in a foreign land or living as a stranger it's it's And and thinking about that's the life that God's called us to live. I remember one time when Martin was teaching, when I was gone, I listened to his study. But he kind of gave an illustration of just sometimes how foolish we are with the lives that we lived as we try to set up residency in a land that is not our own, right? Right. He said, he said it would be like going to a Motel 6 and spending $50,000 to renovate that room because you're going to be there for a little while, right? And you're going to put in a new bathtub and wallpaper and you're going to new carpet. And, 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 and it's foolishness because you're only going to be there for a few days and then you're going to move on. And it's not that God's not wanting us to enjoy the life that he's given us here. He has. But we need to look at it through this lens of what we're being told here about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is that we're just passing through, that our lives here are temporary. And we need to allow that truth to affect our decisions, just like it would if we went on vacation and we're going to stay at the Motel 6. We would never do a renovation project to that motel just to stay there for a few days. And again, that's not saying you can't renovate your house. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, but looking at our lives and, 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 and taking each day, taking a hold of each day and going, Lord, how do I live as a, as a foreigner in a foreign land today? What does that look like as I follow you? as I look forward to the hope and promises that you've given me. And, and, and that's what Hebrews is describing to us, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And, 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 and having now charged his sons, Isaac, literally giving him this final command to bury him in the cave of Machpelah, what we see is that Jacob's work was done. That was the last thing. Hey, boys, come to me. I want you to know this. This is the most important thing. It's not about this life. It's about the life that's to come. And I want you to do this thing as a testimony to my faith and hope in life after this death and the covenantal promises that God's given to me. And when he had finished this last work, these last final words with his son, it says that he breathed his last breath and died. And then in chapter 50, verse 1, if you'll look with me, it says, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. Then the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of, when the days of mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying, and in my grave, which I have dug for myself, is in the land of Canaan, therefore you shall bury me there. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he has made you swear. We'll stop there, and we'll continue on in a little bit. But as we consider this, this Jacob's death, I mean, it's kind of interesting when you, when you study the whole book of, of Genesis as a whole, you know, it being a, a book of beginnings, uh, a book of firsts, and we've talked about that a lot as we went through the creation story and the flood and other things, is that we see that, that the book begins with life. But yet what we hear is that it ends with death. And what it reminds us of, I think, is what we read of in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm just going to summarize it or phrase it. But Solomon, he begins to speak about these, the cycles of life, the seasons that we go through. And, 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 and it's significant that it ends in this way. And even if you look to verse 22 on to verse 26, it, it, it even the last thing we're told in this entire account, the book of Genesis, is about the death of Joseph. And, and um, the truth is, is the life that we've been given to live is not absent from death. It's part of it. And as we consider the death of Jacob and the events that followed, which we'll read about um, in, in, in our study, perhaps if we go through the book of Exodus, but next. But um, I think it's important for us to remember this when we think about death. It's important for us to remember that death is an appointment. That's an appointment. In fact, there are passages of scripture like Job chapter 14, verse 5, and Psalm, verse, or Psalm 139, verse 16, that clearly teach us that each and every one of our days have been determined. This is the words that are used. Each and every one of our days, each and every one of the days of our lives have been determined, appointed, numbered, and fashioned, even, it says, even before we were born, is what the Bible tells us. And because of this, we conclude that even when death comes unexpectedly or accidentally, it does not mean that it was not in accordance to God's appointed time. And this is important for us to remember because it should cause us to understand that we all have an appointment with death. We all have an appointment with death. And because the days we have been given to live are limited, we need to count each day that we've been given as valuable. I don't think we do that. I don't think we think about our appointed time to die very often. We don't like to. And a lot of the funerals that I do, I talk about how we run from death. We avoid death. We do everything we can to try to prolong our lives. Right? Even those of us who have... You know, this hope of eternal life. And, and, um, but the fact is, is, this is an appointment we cannot and none of us will escape. And this is important for us to remember. Because, as I said, when we realize that, then we see that today is a valuable gift from God. That when we wake up in tomorrow morning, we go, today is a valuable gift from God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that none of us are assured tomorrow. Because today might be our day. It might be our day. And we're, we're, caused, we're, we're, we're caused to think about that. We're, we're moved to consider that when we realize that death is an appointment. Appointment that has been made for us even before we were born. Furthermore, when we consider that each person's death has been appointed by God, it should, it should give us comfort in this way. It should give us comfort to know that God is never surprised or caught off guard when someone dies, even though there are times when we are. When it comes unexpectedly or accidentally, we can be caught off guard. We can be surprised, but God never is. He's never caught off guard. It's an, it's, it's an, it's, it's an appointment that he's made. And, 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 and because God is never caught off guard, here's where the comforting thing goes. He's waiting for that pre-appointed time in order to rescue those who are His. Those who have died in faith, like Jacob. To rescue us who believe from death's grip and to bring us into eternal life. To escort us into heaven. But even though these truths give us comfort when we're faced with death, whether it's our own or the death of a loved one, the fact of the matter is, is when someone dies, there's sorrow there's sorrow that comes. Comes not only from our loss and from our heart that grieves, from the pain that we feel, but I think it comes because deep inside of each and every one of us, we know, because we've studied through the book of Genesis and because our being testifies to us, that it was never supposed to be like this. And the truth is, is the longer we have someone in our lives... I think the deeper their roots, that that relational roots that we have with them goes down into our hearts and the experience of death hurts all the more as those roots are then pulled up from death as a result of death. And Joseph, here in verse 1, he kind of demonstrates that for us, doesn't he? He demonstrates just the loss and the sorrow and the grief he felt where we're told in verse one that he then fell on his father's face and he wept and kissed him when he died. So even though Jacob had just gone through this, this instructional message to them to bury his body in Canaan which had these implications of eternal hope and eternal life so even though Jacob had encouraged his son knowing that his life was coming to an end by pointing them to the eternal hope the hope that he had by reminding him just in that last chapter how he would go on to to inherit the eternal promises of God we see that Joseph and his brothers grieved they grieved they mourned they wept with the loss of their father. In fact, verse 3, if you look there, it tells us, if you look, it says that they mourn for the appointed time, 70 days. And when this time had passed, this is significant as well, they then begin to make the preparations to lay their father to rest in the land of Canaan, in the cave of Machpelah, just as Jacob had requested. You see, the point is, guys, the reason why I'm bringing this out this morning is because grief is is a normal part of life. And when somebody we love dies, God, He expects us to weep. I think Jesus even gave us that example when we we read about Him being notified of the death of His friend Lazarus. It said, Jesus wept. And it's a normal part of life, and it's a normal part of the grieving process, and this is why God's, Gives us this ability to shed tears and the and the sorrow we feel and the tears we shed. You know what, guys? There's no way a demonstration of a lack of faith. It, this wasn't a breakdown on Joseph's part. Going, oh, it's over. I don't, be- I can't believe this has happened. What now? Where did my dad go? It wasn't a lack of faith on his part. And and when we grieve, when we mourn, when we lament the loss of a loved one, it's not a demonstration or a testament of our lack of faith. In fact, the feelings and sorrows and the tears that they bring, God's designed it to be a part of the healing process. And if we try to suppress these things, it only keeps the wounds open and prolongs the plane. One of the things that I know from my experience with hospice and counseling with people who've lost a loved one is and because we, we follow a family through hospice, for a year or more, uh, we're required to. We want to do that. But we're, we're also required to by certain regulations to do that. But we follow with the family members if they're willing to let us walk with them. And through that grieving process, which, which often begins before someone loses a loved one when they know that that, that life or that death is imminent. But, but, but I've seen in instances where, where people just stuff that. Those feelings, those emotions, that grief, and and sometimes believers will do that because they think that if they're mourning, if they're grieving, if they're lamenting, it's somehow uh, a demonstration of their lack of faith, which is not true. And it only there's, they never go through that process, that grieving process, and the pain's prolonged and the wounds remained open. But but there's there's this process, and the Bible even speaks about it in regards to suffering or loss or grief which can come from many things and the psalmist wrote in in psalm 30 verse 5 and he said this i mean this is a hopeful message even if you're experiencing some sorrow now that has nothing to do with the the loss of a loved one maybe you're just experiencing grief and sorrow from other other things but the psalmist writes and he says weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning and man, we need to hear that, because when we're in the midst of the weeping, when our heart's broken, when, when, when our heart's bleeding out, if you will, from the feelings of, of loss and, 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 and the, the, the pain that that brings, we need to know that, hey, weeping it may endure for a night, but joy's coming in the morning. That this is a seasonal thing too. That it's a temporary thing too. That these feelings that we have that seem to be all-consuming in the moment, that they're gonna they're gonna fade with time. That we're gonna deal with them. We're gonna process through them. But in light of this, these, this verse from 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 um, the psalmist. And some of the things that we're reading about, I'm also reminded of another passage of Scripture in the Bible that calls us to consider when we suffer the loss of someone we love. And and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. And it's very specific because Paul wrote and he said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. He uses that wordage there specifically in regards to death, speaking of just kind of a, a temporary It's not a permanent thing concerning those who have fallen asleep. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of some things because you will sorrow, you will grieve if you are ignorant of these things like those who have no hope. That's what he says. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, here's what he doesn't want us to be ignorant of. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Again, this promise of eternal life, life after death. And the point is, is even though grieving is a normal process and a healthy response, we cannot forget as we're going through that process, the hope that we have in Jesus and, and, and find comfort and peace in that, meaning we cannot allow for the sorrow we feel to take us to the place of hopelessness, to that place of despair, to the place where we choose to suppress the joy that is promised to return. And sadly, I've met people who have lost a loved one and have been consumed by their grief, and sadly, they live year after year after year without any real joy. And this is because they either never had a hope in Jesus, or because as believers, they've taken their eyes off the eternal promises of God that Jesus has given them. And furthermore, they forget or they don't believe that death is an appointment. Set up by God. Made by God for each one of us. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus and remember that He has swallowed up death forever. Amen? When we remember that, when we remember that Jesus has swallowed up death forever, you know what it does is it enables us to rejoice enables us to move on, to continue on, to live with joy in spite of our loss. And this is example for us in the following verses that we've already read, where we're told there, if you look then in verse 4, that after the days of mourning had passed, that Joseph and his brothers begin to make preparations to go to the land of Canaan and bury their father. And so verse 7, it says, Joseph went to bury his father, and, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh's, a, a servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only the little ones, their flocks, and the herds they left in the land of Goshen, and they went up with him, both chariots and horses, or both chariots, excuse me horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshold of the floor of tad which is beyond the Jordan. Then they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshold of the floor of a todd, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. They're very observant. Therefore, its name was called Ebel Mizraim, which is, is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him, speaking of Jacob, just as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went with him to bury his fathers, or to bury his father. So Joseph and his brothers buried their father, buried Jacob just as he had requested or according to his request back in the land of Canaan back um or specifically in the in the cave of Machpelah where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and and, and their wives had been buried. But it's important for us to recognize in these verses this honor this great honor, this great lamentation, this great mourning that, 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 that was all a, a, an honoring for Jacob, that was given to Jacob as we are told that in this process, through this event, that Jacob's whole family, except of course for the little ones, his, and the cows and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and the whatever other livestock were there, not that we would think that they would bring them with him, but it's mentioned there, and, and the whole family made this long journey, hundreds of miles, about 300 miles round trip. Well, think about that on the back of a horse. One like you were just hopping in Frontier Airlines and, and you know flying a few hundred miles. This was a big undertaking. And they did this all to pay their last respects and to bury Jacob, a great honor. And in light of this very great gathering of people, which included, we're told, many of the Egyptians, those in chariots and even horsemen, but even more so, we, we see that it was the servants of, of, of um, Pharaoh and the elders from the land of egypt the dignitaries and we're told in verse 11 that the inhabitants of the land of canaan were so impressed by by the honor that was being shown to jacob that they renamed this threshing floor this really this city where this that was in this threshing floor where all these things were taking place and they called it abel Mizraim, which simply means the morning of egypt So this wasn't just A mourning that was taking place, an honor that was taking place or being given to Jacob from his family members, which we would expect, but it was all of Egypt. That's the whole idea here. The all of Egypt, this great and mighty nation, were now honoring Jacob in his death and 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 the Canaanites bore witness to it and 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 I put the emphasis on this because when we consider that Jacob was given this kind of honor by his family and by the Egyptians um uh, we see that specifically the Egyptians we see that it was for no other reason except for the fact that he was Joseph's dad the Egyptians were honoring Jacob in this way because of Jacob's relationship to Joseph and not because of anything that he had done. And in this, guys, we see another wonderfully awesome spiritual picture that points us to Jesus and specifically our relationship with Jesus in that we too have also become The Bible teaches this over and over again. It tells us this over and over again that we have become people of importance and partakers of good things simply because of our relationship with Jesus and not because of anything that we have done. And when we look to the word of God, which declares specifically what some of these good things are, you know, we should be amazed when we catalog it, when we categorize it, which I'm going to do for you in, 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 a, in, a, in a cliff note version because there's so much more in this, but we should be amazed. We should stand in awe at what God has honored with, uh, us with simply because of Jesus. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us this. It says that in Jesus we have a de- redemption through His blood. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. And, and, and as you, if you've read through Scripture and you read through the New Testament letters, you may have read these things and just kind of just gone right over them and kept on going. But these are things that should cause you to stop, and it should cause you. These are things that should blow your mind. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. In other words, because of our relationship with Jesus, we've been given back that which our sin has taken from us. And before our association with and faith in Jesus, the truth is is we were nothing more than slaves who lived in bondage to sin and were destined to eternal death. Yet through Jesus' blood, through His sacrificial death, we have been redeemed. Literally what that means, purchased and set free. Why? Because of Jesus. In addition to this, we're also told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that in Jesus we have also obtained an inheritance. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it kind of explains it a little further when it says, We have now become heirs of God. What inheritance did we now receive as a result of our relationship with Jesus? Heirs with God. Of God. And it says specifically in Romans chapter 8, verse 7: joint heirs with Jesus. In other words, because of our relationship with Jesus, we've been adopted. We've been redeemed, but we've been adopted by God. And we're now his sons and daughters. And as his sons and daughters, we're rightful heirs to all the blessings and all the promises that God has made. Rightful heirs. But there's more. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it tells us that as a result of our relationship with Jesus, we can now have complete confidence. Okay, those words are important. Because we lots of times we don't, guys. But because of our relationship with Jesus, not because of who you are or what you do or what you don't do, but because of our relationship with Jesus, it says in 1 John chapter 5, 13, that we can have complete confidence that God hears our prayers and will answer them. Because of Jesus. I can't even get my kids to answer me. God says because of Jesus, the phone's always on. He's always going to pick up. In in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that through our relationship with Jesus, we've obtained mercy, that we've been made alive, and that we are now seen by God, that God now looks at us, and this is what He sees, holy and royal priests. Yes, you. God sees you as A holy and royal priest, me too. Specifically, he says, holy and royal priests who have been called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. But it gets even better. When we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, which tells us this, that when we abide in Jesus, because of our relationship with Jesus, that when we abide in Him, when we take residence with Him, that sin no longer has any power over us. And according to Colossians chapter 2, this is my favorite that in him, the Bible says, we're complete. As a result of our relationship with Jesus, we are complete. And this word complete is translated from the Greek word pleru, which which literally means it, 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 it literally means to be filled to the brim so that nothing shall be wanting. Why? because of jesus guys all of this and so much more we've been freely honored with the bible says this is just the tip of the iceberg there's so many more i could go on and on and on and on but all of this we've been freely honored with simply because of our relationship with jesus because we know him more specifically as the bible says because he knows us he knows us and this is why we need to realize on a daily basis that, guys, Jesus is our everything. What else do you need? Jesus is our everything. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who elevates us. Consequently, the only good that is in us is because of him. Everything good and every good thing we have is because of him, and any good thing we do is because of him. In other words, just like Colossians three eleven says, Jesus is our all in all, and like Ephesians chapter one verse twenty three tells us, Jesus fills all in all, and like First Corinthians chapter twelve verse six says, Jesus is the one who works all in all. All because of Jesus. Now before we continue on, I want to point out verse 14. I really like verse 14. Because in verse 14 we're told that after Jacob had been buried, that Joseph and his sons returned back to Egypt. And there's a lot of significance to that. Number one, um, the famine was over by now, right? They could have returned to the land. But they didn't. They had duties. They had responsibilities. They had a call. They had a place where God had put them. Jacob had prayed and as he was going down there. And God said, go. I will bring you out when it's time. But, but that's only part of the reason why I point this verse out. And I appreciate this verse because it reminds us, it's a reminder for us that even after the death of a loved one, life goes on. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But even after the death of a loved one, life goes on. And after we have done all we can, okay, again, it's for a time, and you need to take that time. But after we've done all that we can to honor the deceased and to comfort those who are grieving, there comes a time when we have to return back to life and to all of its duties. And it's not because life's a burden, but because life's a blessing that God's given to us. And even though God expects us to live and enjoy the life that He's blessed us with, it doesn't mean that we forget the person who we've lost, but it does mean that we put our grief into a godly perspective and get back to the business of living. And this is what Joseph and his brothers did. But with the death of Jacob, it's, it's clear that Joseph's brothers were fearful that maybe their relationship with Joseph would change now. And in verse 15 we read and it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they say, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please, forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now please Forgive the trespasses of the servants of God, God, the God of your fathers. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? In other words, am I I the one to, 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 to cast judgment upon you? But as for you, he says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as is to this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, verse 22, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, in his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the, the, to the, the children of Maker, uh the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now when I read the last verses of this account... Um, I wonder what must have been going through Joseph's brothers' minds at this point. Considering what we have previously read, it makes it clear that Joseph had, without a doubt, forgiven his brothers, right? He, he he had kissed them, he had wept over them on that day when they were finally reconciled together, and he even had explained to them what he reiterated to him here that, that God had been the one to intervene, and he had overruled their evil that they had intended for him to bring about good. He recognized that, that God was in control. Furthermore, Joseph since that time had made every provision for his brothers and for their families to come into Egypt and and now to have been cared for for 17 years i'm sure joseph i don't know if joseph did but i would have been what else can i do to prove to you guys that i that i forgive you you know and 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 and, and that wasn't that wasn't the case for for joseph but one would think that all these things should have been enough evidence of Joseph's love for them and that and, and, and that what Joseph had done would have tested, testified, been a, a testimony to the genuineness of the forgiveness that he had already freely given to them. But that word freely given is where the hang up was at, right? they did not believe that they did not believe their brother at this point. And the gracious way that he had spoke to him and the loving way that he had treated him it had made no impact, obviously, on their hearts. And because they doubted the genuineness of Joseph's forgiveness, they became fearful when Jacob died and that now he would somehow seek revenge, that he was only waiting for for their father to pass so that he could now have his way with them. And even though we might look at Joseph's brothers and wonder how in the world could they ever doubt if they had truly been forgiven, I think... That, that, that what they were feeling would make sense to us when we realize that, you guys, we're no different than them. We're no different than Joseph's brothers. In that there are also times when we worry or even doubt about our own forgiveness that we've received through God or, or from God through, through Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, is that any time this happens, it's usually because we've taken our eyes off of the goodness and the greatness of God. And we, in turn, put a focus on ourselves, And in doing so, we doubt, the, we doubt the grace that has been extended to us, either because we're gazing. And what I mean is we're, we're longing, we're, we're, we're taking a lot of time to look at our own sinfulness. We're, we're blinded at that point by our own sinfulness, our own sinful nature. We're gazing at ourselves, Or because we think that God is like us, either for one of those two reasons. Meaning that we often suspect in others what we, what we, are, we, we ourselves would do if we had the opportunity. We go, God must be like me. Because if it was me, I wouldn't forgive me. I, wouldn't for, I don't forgive those people over there and those people over there. We're not like God. And we, we sometimes wrongly assume that like God is like us. But the wonderful truth is, is God is not like us. And you know what? We have the proven character of God, Right? We all have the proven character of God as well as God's word to assure us that God is a gracious God, that he's a merciful God and a forgiving God who is faithful to forgive us whenever we confess our sins and ask for his forgiveness. It's a promise extended to us in the book of 1 John. And just like we need to remind ourselves of God's proven character and reassure our doubts with the truths that, are, that God has spoken to us through our words, so too should have Joseph's brothers in this moment, in this time, reflected on the good things that Joseph had already done and said in this time of their doubt. But they did not. And they were overcome by their fear. And so too can happen to us in those moments. because We have an, we have an adversary. We have an enemy who wants to capitalize on those things and cause this this division, at least in our hearts and minds, from God thinking God's out to get us when He never is. And Joseph's brothers should have done that. They should have reminded themselves of of Joseph's past demonstrations of love and the words that they had spoken. And, And because they were so consumed with fear, we're told that they were unwilling to even approach Joseph. They didn't even want to go talk to him. They sent messengers. Hey, go and make sure Joseph isn't going to kill us basically is what was going on here. Messengers literally to beg on their behalf and bring their father's name, their dead father's name, into this discussion as they beg for the forgiveness that they had already been freely given. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to end with this because we're running out of time. Consequently, what we see here, guys, is this hurt Joseph. Joseph was genuine in his forgiveness and in the things that he had done for his family. And when they doubted that, It hurt him. It says that he wept. He wept when he found out that his brothers doubted. And even though the text does not say for sure, it's likely that Joseph's brothers did not go up to Joseph on their own accord when the messengers returned. Rather, it's likely that Joseph summoned them to come to him. And the fact that they were fearful when they got there and that they fell down before him says a lot. Specifically, that they could not accept free forgiveness. But guys, is there any other kind? Is there any other kind of forgiveness but for free forgiveness? And because they could not accept free forgiveness, they offered in verse 18 to become servants and work their way to the place where Joseph could forgive them and accept them. But forgiveness, guys, is not something that can be earned. Forgiveness is Is something that only something that can be given. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we must understand that the only people, guys, the only people that God can forgive are those who know they are sinners, who admit it and confess it, and confess that they can do nothing to merit or earn God's forgiveness. The only people that God can forgive are those who are willing to receive that gift of forgiveness. So whether it's the woman at the well in John chapter 4, remember her? Or the tax collector in the tree in Luke chapter 19. Or the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Every person has to come to the place where they admit our guilt, where we admit our guilt. We are bound, where we abandon our our, our prideful thoughts and our prideful efforts to somehow earn the salvation and forgiveness of God. And, and, and when, we, when, we, when we abandon all of that, we simply just throw ourselves on the mercy of the Lord and ask in faith for his forgiveness. Now, I'll close with this. The wonderful thing that we know is, is that God never condemns those who come to him, and neither did Joseph It's another picture for us. Because in verse 20, Joseph didn't condemn his brothers, but he just reminded them, he assured them through that awesome statement that, that his forgiveness had been given to them freely. And guys, God equally does the same thing for us in times of doubt. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're doubting the forgiveness of God in your own life. Because you've got your eyes on your own sinfulness. Or because you have laid upon God your own characteristics going i don't understand how god can be any different than what i know either from who i am or how i see others act but i'm asking you i'm encouraging you this morning to turn away from those thoughts and to believe what the word of god says about god freely forgiving people there's nothing that you have to do except believe on the lord jesus christ and you'll be saved you'll be forgiven and we think, may that may, that's pretty easy. Well, it is easy to receive a gift, but you have to understand that the gift that, that we've been given came at a great cost. It came at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, His blood being shed. And He did that for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, that you died for us. Thank you that you gave your son for us so that we may have life, that we may be forgiven. And, Lord, we all struggle with that. We do, doubting um, your love and your forgiveness for us. But, God, we know, we're assured. We have your proven character and your word to assure us that your love for us is greater than our sin. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's struggling with that, that's been running from you because of that, that has felt isolated and separated from you because of their own doubts and their own fears, I pray, God, that they would be cast away this morning and they would be brought back into that place of of having peace and assurance of knowing that you love them and still accept them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys.